0: by listening to Proof, Murder at the Warehouse, wherever you get your podcasts.
1: I'm Morgan Rector, host of the Human Monsters True Crime Podcast. Do you find life boring within the comfort zone? This is the right show for you. It will test your endurance. The offenders profiled are among the most inhumane. These people specialize in the unthinkable. Human Monsters, available wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Today's episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. What interferes with your happiness? What are some things standing in the way of being the best version of you? For a lot of people, life, your past, and sometimes your current situation can cause roadblocks in your life. Mental health is incredibly important, and so many, including myself, can benefit from talking to a professional and working to dismantle those roadblocks. That's why I'm excited to talk to you guys about BetterHelp. BetterHelp knows no two people are the same and will help to assess your personal needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. These incredibly convenient appointments are in a safe and completely private online environment, and you can start chatting with your new therapist in under 24 hours. It's not self-help. It's professional counseling. You can message with your counselor at any time and get a timely response, plus schedule weekly video or phone sessions, which means no driving to an office, no waiting rooms, and no awkward small talk. Just meaningful sessions with experts who specialize in things like depression, stress, anxiety, relationships, trauma, family conflict, LGBTQ matters, grief, and so much more. There is truly someone there for everyone. And BetterHelp is committed to finding your perfect match, which means if you and your counselor don't mesh for whatever reason, they make it easy and free to seek someone new if needed. BetterHelp is more affordable than traditional offline counseling, and with financial aid available and access worldwide, they truly make it easy for anyone to seek the help they need. I want you to start living a happier life today. As a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting our sponsor at BetterHelp.com slash Morning Cup. Join over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health. Again, that's BetterHelp.com slash Morning Cup. There were two more murders 15 miles away. When police arrived, right they found the telephones and electricity lines. We have a... A weird homicide. A scene
0: described by one investigator
2: as reminiscent of a weird Morning. cup of murder. Desperate times call for desperate measures. That's the way the saying goes, at least. On December 5th, 1924, a desperate man made a drastic decision when he felt he had no other choice. But even now, all these years later, many are left debating his innocence. So, if you like your coffee hot, but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. Elsie Emily Cameron was described as a plain girl. By 1920, she was 26 years old and still had no husband, an unthinkable predicament given the time period. Then, she met 18-year-old Norman Thorne, and, though he wasn't Mr. Perfect, he was better than nothing. After all, if she didn't find a man soon, she would be left up on the shelf until she became an old spinster. Again, it's just the way things were in the 1920s. So the couple began courting, but soon the electrical engineer had lost his job. He asked his father to borrow a 100 pounds so he could go into business for himself and purchased a piece of land in Crowborough, Sussex, with the intention of setting up the Wesley Poultry Farm. While he worked hard to create the necessary buildings needed for the chickens, he and Elsie took turns going back and forth to London so they could spend time together. Once Norman had living accommodations built, Elsie began traveling to Sussex to see Norman more often, spending her days with him and her nights lodging with a local family. And things seemed to be going okay. They were engaged in 1922, and the poultry farm was on track to start earning Norman a pretty good income. Then, Elsie lost her job as a typist. She hopped from job to job for a while, each time losing interest and leaving for one reason or another. At the same time, Norman's farm began to fail. The couple went from having a future together to fastly approaching pennilessness. Not just that, but Elsie began showing signs of apparent psychological issues Norman wasn't sure he wanted to spend the rest of his life dealing with. Because of this, Norman began to push the brakes on their relationship. Norman was having his second thoughts, and in 1924, when he went to a local dance, his second thoughts became a full-blown refusal on marriage. That's when he met a woman named Bessie Coldicott. Bessie, a dressmaker by trade, was very different than Elsie. She was fun-loving, light and easy, not as demanding, and a whole lot less complicated. Norman knew he had to end his engagement, but he didn't have the courage to do so. He was fearful what the rejection would do to, not just Elsie, but her family who desperately wanted the woman out of their home. So he continued to avoid setting a wedding date, hoping it would solve his issue. And Elsie, wanting to speed up his decision, wrote a letter and claimed she was pregnant, though she and Norman had never had sex. Norman promptly wrote back, telling her that he was in love with another woman, she responded again, saying he was the one who got her pregnant and she expected him to marry her before Christmas. On Sunday, November 30th, 1924, Elsie arrived unannounced to the farm. According to witnesses who saw her walking from the train to the farm, Elsie looked extremely agitated. When she arrived, Norman attempted to calm her down by saying they would marry as soon as he sorted things out with his father. Elsie, satisfied with his answer, left around 8 p.m. and went back to London. Norman met with his father a few days later to discuss both his financial and personal issues. He felt like everything was coming down around him and needed to find a way out. His father told him that, if he had any doubts about Elsie's pregnancy, to wait and see if she was telling the truth. Push the wedding back until he was certain. Norman wrote to Elsie explaining the pause on their wedding plans. She was, understandably, furious and decided it was time to act. On December 5th, 1924, she packed up her suitcase and took the train to Sussex, ready to finally settle this matter. Witnesses who saw Elsie walking from the train station to the farm saw her walking with angry determination. It was also the last time anyone saw Elsie Cameron alive. On December 7th, 1924, Elsie received a letter back at her home in London from her fiancé asking why she never showed up for her visit. Confused because he thought his daughter was with Norman, Elsie's father sent a telegram back asking where she was. Norman replied that he had not seen her and that she never made it to the farm. Elsie's father immediately called the police. They spoke to witnesses who put her near the farm on the 5th, but Norman remained adamant that she never showed up. Norman was arrested on January 14, 1925, and police began digging up the farm to see if they could find any evidence that Elsie did indeed end up at her destination. They found a few items belonging to her, including her overnight bag. Confronted with her personal effects, Norman changed his story slightly. He said that while he didn't kill her, he did know where her body was buried. According to his story, Elsie showed up unannounced and she said she would not leave the farm until he married her. He explained that he wouldn't go through the wedding because he had feelings for Bessie. In fact, he had already agreed to meet with Bessie and her mother at the station, so he left Elsie alone on the farm. Presented with the idea that he was going to leave her to be with another woman, Elsie took her life by hanging herself on a beam in the hut where he lived that when he came back home, he saw her lifeless body and panicked. He worried he would be blamed for her death, so he dismembered her and buried her remains around the farm. Now, this seemed like a likely, albeit tragic, story. But when investigators asked to see the beam where she tied the washing line, there were no marks consistent with those expected from a person's full body weight on a rope. Not only that, but they found newspaper clippings in his home about a murder that occurred in April of 1924 on Sussex Beach, where a body was found dismembered and buried. It seemed once he realized Elsie wasn't going anywhere, he got the idea to commit what he thought was the perfect murder. Norman Thorne was charged for what they were now calling the Chicken Run Murders. The trial began on March 11, 1925, with the defense claiming that he simply concealed her suicide and the prosecution saying it was all premeditated murder to get out of a marriage proposal. Norman Thorne was found guilty and sentenced to death just five days after the trial began. The case became a media sensation. People everywhere knew about the story, and everyone had their own opinions including Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, writer of the beloved Sherlock Holmes mysteries, who thought the trial had not proven beyond reasonable doubt that Norman killed or even meant to kill Elsie Cameron. An appeal was lodged but later dismissed, and Norman was hanged on April 22nd, 1925, on what would have been Elsie's 27th birthday. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to hear what terrible thing happened on December 6th. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime-obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe.
1: My fellow citizens, our Earth is in the middle of a crisis, plunging deeper, into chaos no I feel your pain and your loss we can't stand idly by and let this happen we must rise up and (coughs) 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 sorry damn it well this is awkward hi my name is josh shell and I am the host of the let's start a cult podcast where each episode myself and some guests take a look at different cults from around the world for educational purposes only and definitely not to start our own cult Join me every other week as we break down dangerous religious cults, political extremist groups, and every other kind of cult in between. Should I apologize for the terrible southern accent? No? Okay. Subscribe and listen to Let's Start a Cult anywhere you listen to podcasts.